We sometimes speak of giving or receiving a blank check. Now, I actually don't think I've ever received a blank check. To be clear, a truly blank check signed with the name of someone with an unlimited bank account who comes to you and says, here, write in the amount and cash it. I don't know if you've ever received that blank check before, but yet we speak of getting a blank check. And I start here because I wonder if when Mark read these words from the Gospel of Mark today, the thing that came into your mind was blank check. A blank check. Now I want you to listen to these words one more time and ask if what comes into your mind is a blank check. Jesus says to Peter, have faith in God. For verily, or truly, I say unto you that whosoever, whoever, shall say unto this mountain, now remember where Jesus was, he was just outside the city of Jerusalem near the Mount of Olives. He might have even been pointing at that mount. That Mount of Olives. This mountain, whatever he was referring to, this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. Whatever. Whoever, whatever. Sound like a blank check? Go to the next verse. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now that word desire there is not referring so much to your internal desire. It's saying to what you ask. What you desire from someone else. It's often translated simply ask. Whatever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Sound like a blank check? How are we going to interpret what Jesus is saying here? This sounds crazy. Well, let me suggest to you this morning that there are two cliffs that we can fall off on either side of understanding what Jesus means here. I want you to picture as you're interpreting this verse together that we're walking a road together and on either side is a mountain. On either side is a cliff's edge and we can go off on the right hand or we can go off on the left hand. Here's the way we can go off on one of those sides is by saying it is a blank check. It is a blank check and what Jesus is saying here is if you can only produce enough confidence, if you can only produce enough belief, enough conviction, enough feeling, you can have anything that you pray for. We're going to see that's not the Bible, and it is not what Jesus meant here. But do you know the other cliff that we can fall off? We can fall off on the cliff on the other side of spending so much time explaining what Jesus didn't mean by this. Well, he didn't mean that, and he didn't mean that, and he didn't mean that, and surely he didn't mean that, that we never get around to saying what he actually meant. 
Friends, do you know what this verse is intended to be? It's intended to be an encouragement for you to pray. That's what he intends it to be. He intends it to be an encouragement for you to open yourself up to having audacious faith. Faith for really big, significant things. He didn't intend to say this so that the disciples would look at him and say, okay, Jesus, you must not be saying this and this and this and this, so I guess we don't need to even really worry what you really are intending to say. No, Jesus is intending for you to be encouraged to pray. And do you know, friends, what I think, if we're to help us understand this saying of Jesus, we really need to understand the very first words that he gives in this passage. Will you look with me at verse number 22 if you have your Bibles? Verse number 22 of Mark chapter 11. And I want you to read those words with me out loud. Okay? When we get to Jesus' words, we'll read them out loud. And Jesus answering saith unto them, now read it with me, have faith in God. You see that? Let me try it again. Have faith in God. If you understand that phrase, you're going to have a chance to understand what Jesus means when he gives this stupendous promise to his disciples. It all starts with this. Have faith in God. That's the title of our message this morning, and we're going to use that to frame how we look at this very interesting but very misunderstood passage and promise from Jesus. We're going to start, first of all, with what I'm going to call the opportunity of faith. He says, have faith in God. And then he goes on to explain the opportunity that is available before them. Now let's step back for just a moment and understand the context of where we are in Scripture. Last Sunday, I can be I can nearly certain that I was the only one on Easter Sunday preaching about the cursing of the fig tree. I feel very confident about that across the entire world. But nonetheless, we looked at the fact that Jesus has entered into Jerusalem as the king. He is identifying himself as the king in God's kingdom. And then the next morning, he is going into Jerusalem to really, we say, clean the temple out. But it was more than that. He was condemning the temple is what he was doing. He was condemning the system of worship that was going on in that temple. And as he's going into Jerusalem with his disciples to enter into the temple and exercise God's judgment against that system of worship, he comes across a fig tree. And that fig tree in April has leaves all over it, green leaves. And he comes and he looks for whether there's fruit. And he's, he's kind of, can't you just see him kind of moving the branches and, and, and look, going through the leaves? Is there any fruit here? And there's none. In fact, Mark tells us it wasn't even the season for, for, for figs yet. There, he, no one would have expected there to be ripe, delicious figs on that tree. And Jesus says, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And we talked about last week, how are we to take that? Is this Jesus just losing his temper, getting irritated at a fig tree that doesn't satisfy him, and just destroying it? That would be completely uh, out of step for everything that we've learned about Jesus in this gospel. Absolutely inconsistent with everything we know about him. That's not it. What he's doing is he's acting out a picture. 
He's acting out a parable for his disciples. He, just after this moment, is going to go into Jerusalem, into the temple, where God's presence dwells in the Holy of Holies. And he's going to enter into that temple, and instead of seeing a house of prayer, a house of worship, fruit on that tree of the religious system, he finds nothing but leaves. Oh, it looks busy. It looks good. You've got the people in their nice costumes, their nice religious garb. You've got high priests. You've got Levites running around. You've got sacrifices taking place. But there's nothing fruit. There's nothing pleasing to God. It is broken. It is barren. It is empty. And Jesus exercises judgment. He clears it out. And in fact, as we noted last week, with his death on the cross, only a few short days later, The Bible said that the veil of that temple separating the holiest place, the holy of holies, from the rest of the temple, that big curtain separating it, would be ripped in two, ripped in half, signifying that that temple was no longer needed. There would never again be another sacrifice in that temple that would have anything to do with God's redemptive purpose. That entire system would now be replaced by the work of Jesus Christ, our high priest, on the cross. God had come in Jesus to the temple. He had seen that it was a barren fig tree. There were no fruit, there was no fruit on it, and he exercised the judgment of God. And then he goes out. And he goes back to the place he had been staying to outside of Jerusalem. And now pick it up again in verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This had just been a fig tree that was green, that was growing, that appeared to have all kinds of life. And the very next day, it was withered and barren and dead. And Peter just stops. And look what he says. Master. The fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Now, Peter had seen an awful lot of things from Jesus, hadn't he already? And even he wasn't ready for this. Jesus, look at, look at how quickly that happened. It's already dead. He can't, he's surprised by this. And Jesus answering saith unto him, have Faith in God. What's he going to tell him? Peter, you want to know how this happened? You want to know how my word to that fig tree already produced this miraculous, destructive effect in its life? I'm going to tell you, have faith in God. By the way, do you know this tells us exactly how Jesus operated on earth? Do you ever think of Jesus as this kind of Divine cowboy running around with two six-shooters. Pow, 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 pow. I got a gospel power gun. Pow, pow. It's not how it worked. How did Jesus exercise these miracles, the divine power of God? By faith in God. How did Jesus exercise these healing miracles that we've seen over and over again? By the Holy Spirit. He was relying on the same Holy Spirit that you and I rely on. He was operating in a faith and dependence on God, the same kind of faith and dependence that you and I are called to exercise and to live by. 
It's why Jesus said when he was about to heal a blind man in John chapter 9, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. What was he doing? God, this is your work. And in faith, on your power, and in reliance on your Holy Spirit, I am acting as you have called me to act. Jesus was entirely human, even as he was entirely divine. He relied on the Spirit of God in faith in God, out of a perfect communion with God. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do, and he did it in relying on his power. And you have the same Holy Spirit indwelling you if you're in Jesus Christ today. Isn't that an amazing thought? The same Holy Spirit. Have faith in God, he says. Now look at what he says next. For verily or truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice, first of all, what he's talking about is an immovable object. An immovable object. He says, this mountain. Now, you need to stop and, and think for just a moment. Do you think any of the disciples of Jesus, as they were standing looking at the Mount of Olives, actually believed that what Jesus was telling them was, hey, guys, if you really believe hard enough, that mountain will pick up and do a nice little somersault down into the Dead Sea. Do you think any of them would have taken Jesus as saying that? No, any more than they would have believed him to be speaking literally when he said, it's easier for a rich man to enter into the... To, uh, I'm sorry, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They would have never thought that he was speaking literally there, like a camel could fit through the eye of a needle. Any more than they would have taken it as, oh yeah, what he's saying is we should pray that mountains would jump up and fall into the sea. What is he speaking here? It's a figure of speech. We use the same figure of speech today. Have you ever heard it said of someone, wow, that, that guy, that gal can move mountains? They can move mountains. Do, do you actually mean that they can physically move mountains? No, you don't. What you mean is that person can solve really hard, seemingly impossible problems. That's what you mean. And in fact, this was the same figure of speech that was common in Jesus' day. Listen to, to what the commentator Barclay says. He says, the phrase about removing mountains was a quite common Jewish phrase. It was a regular, vivid phrase for removing difficulties. It was specially used of wise teachers. A good teacher who could remove the difficulties which the minds of his scholars encountered was called a mountain remover. So do not think for a moment here that Jesus was intending for you and I to go start praying that mountains would jump into oceans. That's not what he's talking about here. He's using a figure of speech, a very normal, common figure of speech to refer to a seemingly impossible problem. A difficulty like a mountain in our way that we can't possibly see a way around or over. Now do you have some of those in your life? Are you dealing with some of those today? Do you know how easy it is for us to apply this kind of comment to the challenges we have today? You see, I've got an addiction that I can't beat. That's a mountain. My marriage, 
I don't see any way we're going to restore any kind of love and warmth and intimacy in our, in our marriage. My kids, I don't know. They, they are going the wrong path, and I have no idea how to stop them. It's a huge mountain. My job, my future, I cannot get around or over or through this mountain. It seems immovable. Jesus says that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that. That's the kind of thing we're speaking of here. Notice then what else he says. Not just an immovable object, but notice this unqualified statement. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, whosoever. I don't know, friend, about you, but I fall inside that whosoever. Do you? Whoever. Are you a whoever? I am. Whoever. I just want you to let that sit in you for a minute. Jesus is talking about you, whoever. That's not the only unqualified statement he makes. Look at this. And whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever, he says. Whoever, whatever, anyone, anything. You see it? Anyone can get anything. Now let that sink in for a minute. Apply it to that mountain that's in front of you. That mountain that came to mind when you said, there's an immovable object in my path. Are you anyone? Are you a whoever? Is that mountain a whatever? Anything. Then God says, you might have that removed. That's what he's talking about here. In other words, what I want us to get out of our minds is this kind of pessimism that says, well, surely that passage has nothing to do with me. Maybe it's someone for who's really spiritual or who has really grandiose, serious kind of faith. Not my little faith. Not my challenged faith. Not my sometimes doubting faith. He can't be talking about me. And friends, Jesus wants you to know he is talking about you. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said whoever and whatever. He is talking about you. He is talking about your mountains. And he's talking about my mountains. Do you see that? Whoever, whatever, it is an unqualified statement. Jesus makes the same idea in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus says that they can't heal that boy. Remember, he has come down from the transfiguration and the father is pleading with them to heal their boy and they can't do it. And Jesus says, why couldn't you do it? Because of your unbelief. Listen to what he says. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, Ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Jesus says it's not about the size of your faith. It can be the smallest kind of faith. As long as it's the right substance. As long as it's the right seed. The seed of faith. Friends, I just want to open before you an incredible reality this morning. The incredible reality is this. There is no mountain that is facing your life today that God may not call you to remove by the prayer of faith. 
There is no mountain in front of you today that is too impossible for the almighty power of God. Have faith in God. Nothing, he says, shall be impossible unto you. Jesus is encouraging you to pray because this is what he's saying, friends. There are no mountains in your life that I may not call you to be my channel of removing the difficulty. There is nothing that is too hard for me, and through prayer I choose you to move mountains. Have faith in God. And I just want to say to you today, friends, if there are mountains in your life that you have just stopped praying about because you can't see any way that you can get around them, you can't see any way that, you can, that they can be moved, think again. Listen to Jesus say, anyone, anything, whoever, whatever, and realize that he's encouraging you to say, start praying. Start praying. This might be my choice to remove that mountain through your prayer. You know the, who got this encouragement? The early church? The ones who heard this for the first time? Do you know what happened after Jesus went up into heaven? He was ascended up. He said, go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promised Holy Spirit. And do you know what Acts 1 tells us? They went, and listen to what verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. What did the early church do? They gave themselves to prayer. They heard what Jesus said. I'm going to move mountains through your prayer. They said, okay, God, we'll pray. We'll pray then. And that's exactly what God did. Can you imagine Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 coming up to a man who's, who, was, who was crippled from birth? His legs didn't work. And as he comes in, they come into the temple for prayer, this man looks at them like he's going to get something. He's asking alms. And Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money to give you. But what I do have is this. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Do you think Peter stopped back for a moment and said, Yeah, whoever, whatever. Whoever, whatever. Anyone, anything. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I don't talk like that. I don't think you talk like that either. Here was a man who saw the almighty power of God to move mountains. This is the opportunity of faith, and we should not go off the cliff of just pretending this verse has no relevance to us. It has no relevance. It seems too big and too dramatic and too hard to understand. No, Jesus is encouraging you to start praying about your biggest mountains, about your biggest difficulties. And trust that God is going to use you as the channel, your prayer, to solve them, to move mountains. There's our opportunity. Secondly, now, I want to talk about the object of faith. The object of faith. If God wants to use you to move mountains in prayer, the question is this, which mountains? And he says, have faith in God. Now, we have to understand that. Have faith in God, or we're going to get mixed up, the whole, just completely out of the box. This verse, these verses here have been used to support a completely wrong view of prayer. And do you know what that view is? If you just believe hard enough, if you just gin up the feeling 
the feeling that God is going to do something, if you just think positively, you can do anything. And friends, that's not the Bible. In fact, I went to a sermon from a very well-known TV preacher. I won't say who it is, but he has wonderfully coiffed hair and very pearly white teeth. It is really incredible. From there, you're going to have to figure it out. But do you know what this, this TV preacher said? A sermon on this passage. Listen to what he said. He talked about an experience in his own life that he was dealing with. He was After he became a pastor and he was feeling self-doubt, and he realized, he said, you know, I just need to claim the promise of God. So this is what he says. I just kept saying it, kept believing it, kept declaring it, and before long it became a reality. I pulled it out of the unseen into the scene. I just kept believing it, I just kept declaring it, I just kept thinking positively, and I pulled it out of the unseen into the scene. Now, is that what Jesus is talking about here? Did you hear what he said? He didn't say, have faith in positive thinking. He didn't say, have faith in faith. He didn't say, have faith in your feelings. What did he say? Have faith in whom? In God. Have faith in God. Friends, positive thinking may do some things for you, but it's not going to move these kinds of mountains. Your personal idea of belief that I feel like I believe, I feel convinced, I feel positive about this, that doesn't mean, that not, has nothing to do with mountain-moving faith. Nothing whatsoever. He says, have faith in God. Do you know how absolutely seductive this reasoning is that we fall into this cliff that we fall off? I saw it again this last week. I knew what I was going to be preaching about, and it was just such wonderful timing. So I, I'm getting my kids together to, to clean up in the house. And as I sometimes do to get some energy going, I turned on some more energetic mu music to get, to get us moving. And it happened to be a, a Disney album of old Disney songs. And I'm sitting there doing the dishes, and I'm listening to this song come on. You, you probably know it. A dream is a wish your heart makes. When you're fast asleep. Cinderella, right? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm the dad of girls, okay? I know, I know Cinderella. And so this song is coming, and suddenly it just like starts burning a hole a little, a little into my brain, and I actually start thinking about the words. And I'm listening to it. And I start listening to those words. Listen, listen to what it says. Whatever you wish for, you keep. Have faith in your dreams, and someday your rainbow will come smiling through. No matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come true. Think about that last words. If you keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come true. I was just wanted to think about how much that, that idea has come into our culture today. Have you ever heard even secular people at work say, I have faith that this is going to happen? The question that you should ask him is, faith in what? Faith in whom? Faith in faith? That's not going to get you anywhere. You see, sometimes some of us have the idea of God that he's like that fairy godmother in Cinderella. Just keep on believing. Keep on wishing. Keep on hoping. And ta-da, here's a magic wand. Here's your carriage. Here's your, horse. here's your footman. Here's your horses. 
We think it's like on Oprah. Here, you have a car, and you have a car, and you get a car, and, and you get a car too. And we think of this idea of God, and it's not. He's not. He says, have faith in God. In other words, the key here is understanding what belief is. Go back to this passage again. He says, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. Believe. Believe without doubt. Believe with conviction, with certainty. Now let me ask you this question, friends. How would you ever get that kind of certainty when you pray? How would you ever have that kind of belief? By really trying hard, by gritting your teeth, God, I really, really, really believe this. Not what he's talking about. What's the only way that you could have that kind of faith in God? Can I just say it like this? It's by knowing God. By knowing God. To have faith, to have that kind of unflinching confidence in God only comes by someone who knows God and knows what he's like. Do you know Jesus makes this point in other passages when he talks on prayer? This is why you cannot take these couple verses out of context, pluck them out of the teaching of Scripture, and say, this is what Jesus means when he says to pray. No, you have to bring them into the rest of Scripture, talking about prayer to understand what faith is. Here's the first thing. You have to ground yourself in God's providence. Your prayer must ground itself in God's providence. Here's what I mean by that. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, hey, Dad, can I have some bread? Can I have some food? He said, will he give him a stone? Would you give your child when they're sincerely asking for your, you for food something that would chip their tooth? Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't give them something that would hurt them. Then he says this. Or if he asks a fish, Dad, can I have some meat? Will he give him a serpent, something that will sting him? He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Good things. In other words, when Jesus says, whatever, does he mean things that will be bad for you? No. No, he does not. Because God is not that kind of Father. God is not the kind of father to take the sincere request of his children and say, sure, I'll give you a snake. I'll give you a stone, something that will injure you. God's not that kind of father. And so therefore, we understand that when I come and pray, I cannot have solid, unconvinced, uh, confident faith to believe if I don't know that it's in accord with God's providence, his good will toward me. God does not act in that way. We cannot expect that from him. It would be like if I went into McDonald's with my children and I said, kids, you can have anything on the menu. You can have anything on the menu. Pick it out. What am I trying to do there when I say that? I'm saying, the, 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 the opportunities are open to you. The potential is there. What do you want? What if one of my children said, yeah, I'd like eight packets of ketchup to eat with the packet. 
I didn't, no kids, I, I wasn't meaning something that was bad. I wasn't meaning something that would hurt you, okay? That was not what my statement of whatever meant. And God is in the same way. He wants us to see the opportunity of faith that is before us, but by his goodness and by his providence, he is willing to say, no, not that. That would be bad for you. How often has that happened in your life? There's a relationship that broke down, and you said, God, why'd you do this to me? This was going to be perfect. And then 10 years down the line, you said, I'm glad I didn't marry that person. That would have been a disaster. God, this job fell through. It's the job that was my dream job. And then three years down the line, you said, wow, God, thank you that I didn't get that job. You had something so much better for me. Thankfully, God is a good father. He, we are limited by his providence. Here's another thing. We're limited by his priorities. We need to understand this in light of God's priorities if we're going to have faith in God. Listen to what James 4 says in verse number 3. He says, you ask, you pray, and you receive not because ye ask amiss or wrongly. You ask wrongly that ye may consume it upon your lusts, on your desires. You ask for the wrong things for the wrong reasons, and God doesn't give them to you. Friends, you and I have no expectation we can have no confident expectation to pray to our heavenly father for things that are in our own selfish interests we should have no faith for that kind of prayer god make me a millionaire why why we should have no faith for that kind of request god give me this that i've already dreamed that i've always dreamed about the question we should ask ourselves is why why? Is that in accord with his priorities or your priorities? I have no faith. I can have no confident, expecting faith to pray selfishly for my own self-interested desires. That's not the kind of prayer that Jesus is referring to. That is in accord with God's priorities. In fact, the disciples already maybe would have thought back to this when Jesus taught them in the Sermon on the Mount how to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, it's about my priorities, not about yours. You see, that's the kind of prayer that we can have faith on when it's in accordance with God's providence, with God's priorities. And notice thirdly, God's purposes. God's purposes. Listen to this other Bible verse. You can write it down and go look at it later if you'd like. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions, the prayers that we desired of him. Is it in accordance with his will? God's purposes are ultimately what we can stand in faith without any doubt on. God, you said it. You said it, and therefore you will follow through. Now let me pause here for just a moment. What are we saying? We are saying this. When Jesus says, whatever you ask, for whoever asks, 
Believing without any doubt, you'll have it. What's he saying? He does not mean prayers that are against God's providence. He does not mean prayers that are against God's priorities. He does not mean prayers that are against God's purposes. Because no, we could not in that circumstance have faith in God. We would be having faith in something else. And maybe that's where you come this morning and say, well, this is just a big bait and switch. God says, hey, anything... Anyone. And he says, ah, read the fine print, only in my will. Sometimes we sit back and think, well, why should I even pray then? God, just do whatever your will is. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. And then we'd fall off the other cliff. Because I want us to listen for just a minute. What is God saying to us here? What is Jesus saying? We've seen the opportunity of faith. We've seen the object of faith, that it must be faith in God. And third, let's look briefly at the objective of faith. What is the objective of faith that we're getting at? If God says, I want you to invite to pray about anything, and when you pray in faith, it will be done, what's he saying to you? He's, I think he's saying this, friends. He's inviting you. He's inviting you to get with him and to learn what he thinks about things. Do you know what prayer is? We sometimes think prayer is nothing else than like going to sit on Santa's lap at the mall with a Christmas list and say, here are these ten things that I'd like, God. Will you do them? It's not prayer. It's not prayer. Prayer is the communication with God where we align ourselves with God. Where we line up my will with God's will. I was talking with Mark about this before and he made a wonderful statement. Prayer is not about you, about God's will becoming your will. In the sense, you twisting God's will to become your will. Prayer is about you bringing your will in alignment with God's will. It's about his will, not your will. Do you know who know, knew this perfectly better than any of us? Jesus. Do you remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? We're going to read about it only in a few chapters in Mark chapter 14. Do you know what Jesus said himself? Listen, I'm going to read it for you just so you see it. He says he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed. What did he pray? He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, this suffering on the cross that would be before him when he would be separated from his father. He prayed. Listen to what he prayed. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. He prayed. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. You know what Jesus prayed? You said, did God answer his prayer to take away this cup from him? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You say, did Jesus lack faith? No, he just knew this. His faith was ultimately to be aligned with whatever God intended for the situation. And therefore, he prayed. And I, just, I hope this will be practically helpful to you. Do you know there will be many things in your life that you will not be able to pray with this kind of confident, unflinching faith? God, you said it, and you desire it, and therefore I claim it. 
There are many things you will not be able to pray that about. You will not be able to pray that sometimes about your health circumstances. God, I, I'm just claiming that you're going to heal me today. You may not, never be able to pray that. But do you know what you can pray? Do you know what you can pray in faith? God, everything is possible to you, and you know that I'm desiring to be healed. You know that I'm desiring this to be done. So God, I can't say with confidence that you're going to give it to me, but I am asking you. That's a good prayer. That's a right prayer. That's a prayer you should make. But it's not necessarily the prayer of Mark chapter 11 when Jesus says, if you believe and you have no doubt in your heart, anything will be done. Why? Because there's, how are you going to know what God wants for a situation? How are you going to know to have faith in God? You know one way that you're going to find that? When it's in this book. Where does God tell you what he wants? Where does God tell you what his promises are that you can stand on and you can bank on with 100% certainty? In here. And when you have a promise of God that you can bank on with 100% certainty, do you know what you can pray? In faith. Unshakable confidence. God, do it. Do you know who the great example of this in the Bible is? At least one of them. Abraham. A man who was 90 years old and didn't have a baby, and God told him, you're going to have a baby through your wife, Sarah, who also is old and also is past the time of having children. Do you know what Abraham said? God, you said! I want you to read what Romans chapter 4 says about him. He says, they says, he says about Abraham, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform what he had promised. And friends, do you know what's true for many of us? God is inviting us to come into his word and understand more about who he is and what he's like. He's inviting us to dive in, to understand what his desires are, what his will is for our life and our circumstances, and then to stand like Abraham did confidently on his promise and say, God, you said, and your prayer life to be rooted in that kind of faith built on the promises of God. And what Jesus is saying to us is, friends, when your promises are rooted in the, when your prayers are rooted in the promises of God, mountains are going to move. Are you willing to accept God's invitation to develop that kind of prayer life? A prayer life that doesn't just come with a list of things that you want to check off and get from God, but a list that comes to God with your prayer requests, a, pr a prayer life that comes to open the word of God and say, God, what do you want for this situation? And when you show me, when you show me what your heart is, what your will is, what your promises are, I'm going to stand in faith and not doubt because you said. That's what prayer is really all about. It's the kind of prayer of faith that comes before God sometimes and says, God, I can't see in your word that you said this. I can't stand in that kind of faith. But I have faith that all things are possible to you. And so I'm going to ask you 
and then for other things. God, you said, you said, you have shown what you desire in this situation, and therefore I will stand in faith, confident that mountains are going to move. That's what I believe Jesus is speaking to here. And you see, there's one more example here that I just want to look very briefly in these last two verses. Will you look with me in verse 25? Verse 25 says, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught or if you have something against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. You say, what on earth is he saying here? I think just very briefly he's saying this. Friends, your prayer life with God is about a relationship with him. It's about a relationship with him. And what he says is this. If you come to me in prayer and you are harboring a grudge against another person, he says, do not expect me to have any kind of living relationship with you. Do you see that, what he's saying there? If you come to me in prayer asking for my goodness on the basis of my forgiveness of you, if you do not expect that I will give you any of that, when you don't manifest my character of forgiveness to others. You know, friends, this spirit, this bitter spirit, this grudge-holding spirit, this unforgiving spirit to people who have wronged us in the past is a surefire way to know that you will have no living relationship with God. Do you know I can say with complete confidence this morning, friends, of you and of myself, that if we hold a grudge against someone who has wronged us in the past, you can be assured that you will have no relationship with God while you're holding that grudge. No vital living relationship. Why? Because God says, don't come to me for, for forgiveness of your sins while you are living in unforgiveness against someone else. And you can say this confidently. When you are holding a grudge against another human being for what they have done to you, you should not expect to have any vital prayer life either. Can I just say this very practically for us today? If we're holding grudges against our spouse, we shouldn't expect to have any living prayer life. If we hold grudges against those who have wronged us at our work or in our school or our neighborhood or in our past, we shouldn't expect to have a relationship with God in which God overflows of his kindness and his mercy and his forgiveness to us. Your prayer life and mine is rooted in a relationship with God and to maintain that relationship with him, I must yield my offenses that others have committed against me. Let me ask you this morning, friends, just three things. Number one, do you see the opportunity in prayer that God is putting before you right now? Do you see that he's wanting you to come to him about everything? That he is wanting you to come to him with the faith that he is going to move mountains through your prayer life. That's the opportunity. Secondly, do you come to him having faith in God 
seeking above all things to God. Let this be in accord with your providence, with your priorities, with your purposes. God, this is the ground of my prayer life. I have faith in you and what you have revealed to me in your word and by your spirit. That's what our prayer life is supposed to be. And then thirdly, are you following the objective of prayer, which is to maintain alignment with God? I just plead with you today, if you are feeling grudge in your heart, bitterness against someone else, will you leave it here at church today? Will you just drop it? Will you say, God, I'm done. I'm done holding on to that spirit. I want a vital living relationship with you. Let it go. Accept God's forgiveness. And then this week, may each one of us have the faith in God that will lead to this kind of vital prayer life.